This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Aisha Khanna from Edo AI on the state of artificial intelligence, aka AI, and the major trends and applications across Asia Pacific. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Fantastic. Enjoying Dubai in December. Yes, it's pretty cool period during now in Dubai, right? Yes, the weather is lovely. Lots of people from around the Middle East and far beyond have come here for the holidays. So it's quite international, actually. And at the moment, you are based in Berlin, but at some point, you were also based in Singapore as well. That's right. So I divide my time between Singapore and Berlin. Most of the year, I spend in Singapore where my company's headquarters are. My guest today is Aisha Khanna. CEO of Addo AI. It's going to be a very interesting conversation because she's here to talk about what is artificial intelligence, aka AI, in the Asia-Pacific region. But to start off, I want to get to know you better, Aisha. How do you start your career? I grew up in Pakistan, and so I've always had a lot of empathy for the poor and the emerging middle class. In fact, the way I would say I started my career was the internships I had during my years at Harvard when I would go back to Pakistan and work in microfinance and human rights. After I left Harvard where I studied economics and then went to New York where I started a master's in operations research. I did a lot of computational biology, computer science and applied math and then moved on to Wall Street. There I spent many years starting off as a software engineer working on algorithmic trading systems. And from there on, I really began to merge my original interest in how human beings live their lives and the technology and applied math that I was engaging with on a daily basis. The convergence was in cities. So I decided to study cities and the impact of technology on citizens. And from Wall Street, I then moved into the area of smart cities, where I began my PhD then at the London School of Economics. My research over there is specifically on information infrastructures. And I started advising governments on smart cities. And it was very natural at that point that artificial intelligence, which I had, by the way, done my first neural network 15 years ago, was really coming back because companies and cities had more data. They wanted to have more insights, not only into citizens, but also into customers. I began then, when I came to Singapore, to start a new company, which was focused on artificial intelligence. So this is really interesting because I have also started my academia work when I was in the Human Genome Project on looking at unsupervised learning in the human genome and looking for targets. And now it's becoming a very important area that you and I are both intersecting. But I wanted to know, throughout your career journey, what are the most interesting career lessons you can share with my audience? I think there are a couple of important things. The first thing is that if you're interested in solving problems, there's always work to be done. And so I have always focused on things that I found interesting instead of a career that made logical sense. So you've seen that I've had a bit of a meandering career, but it has been really good for me because I have followed both my passion 
but also problems that needed to be solved. And I think creative problem solving is the most important skill one can have. The second thing is, and I didn't learn this until late in life, but I would encourage all young people to build their networks because more than anything else, one is now learning from each other. And industry is moving at a much faster pace than academia. So in order to remain innovative, one has to be in touch with multiple industries. And this multidisciplinary approach is very useful, as especially in the coming age of automation and technology disruption. And the third thing that I learned was that we are entering an era of deep specialization. It used to be that you could be a generalist and be a management consultant. But those days are now coming to an end. You do need to have deep skills. In my case, even though I have had a lot of background in technology, mathematics, and smart cities, I needed to partner with the best minds in artificial intelligence. And I went to the top professors in Asia to partner with them to form this new company because they have the deep experience. And as we enter a world of AI, robotics, mixed reality, virtual reality, even space travel, we need to make sure that we are deeply specialized in some field because that's where our career marketability lies. So can you briefly introduce your company, Addo AI, and what services do the company provide? Addo means to add in Latin. So Addo AI means that we add artificial intelligence to your business model. We advise companies and businesses on how to use artificial intelligence. And we do this by implementing AI engines and modules and platforms. For instance, we are working with SMRT, which is Singapore's largest transportation company, on a new kind of transportation platform called Mobility as a Service. This is actually based on my PhD, where we are creating a kind of iTunes or Netflix for transportation so that you can integrate all different kinds of mobility modes by bike sharing, trains, buses, autonomous vehicles in one app and book a journey and pay for it seamlessly. But at the back end, AI is being used to understand the mobility preferences of the consumer. It is being used to optimize and match the demand of mobility to the supply of transportation. That's one example of what we're doing, a very concrete example of how we use artificial intelligence. In the Philippines, we are now talking to some of the leading banks to do robo-advisory and personal financial management of the emerging middle class, where we are trying to understand how can you score somebody who does not have a long transaction history and give them in price alone or an insurance policy for them and give them the ability to build new companies and to educate themselves further and move up the social mobility ladder. All of this requires insights of data, which is then crunched using machine learning and different AI algorithms, and then some kinds of actionable tasks. And the best thing about AI is that it's not static. The engine is constantly accumulating data and reconfiguring itself as it's getting new insights into changing demographics or changing behavior. That's interesting. So what's your role and coverage in the company? I'm uh, the co-founder and CEO. I have three roles. One is to build a global brand. As a Singaporean, I think all Singaporeans share the same thing. When we start a company, we know that we need to go out in the world because the Singapore market is not very big. So I started in Singapore, but then we already have an office in Dubai. We have a lot of engineers and data scientists in Lahore, Pakistan. I was in Berlin to start a market there, our office there. Now we have something in Manila as well. I was very determined that we should be one of the leading AI advisory services in the world. 
And that means that I have to constantly look for global talent and I constantly have to speak to CEOs and governments around the world. Secondly, the other thing is that we have to keep our mission intact. There are many people, our partners, our clients, our wonderful teammates. I am on a mission to drive transformative change in companies. And ultimately, linking back to where I all started, it has to improve the lives of the emerging middle class. This can be in terms of quality of life, sustainability, efficiency, financial inclusion, improvement of skills. There are many ways in which AI can contribute. But ultimately, there's a North Star that we all have, which is that we are determined to do AI for good in one way or another. And that's been, I feel that that's been really good, especially in attracting these wonderful young, optimistic millennials and even younger than them who are really good hearted and want to do the right thing. And of course, it comes to the main subject of the day, which is we are talking about artificial intelligence, AI in the Asia Pacific. To start off by helping my audience to understand the term artificial intelligence or AI in short, what's the definition of artificial intelligence? For me, artificial intelligence is about learning and problem solving. It is the things that as humans, we are best at. So I would say that even though most people think of AI in the first instance as automating routine work. And it does do that. Things that are very routine, for instance, answering basic customer service questions. Then decision support, which was the next way where you could make forecasts and be able to then a human being would look at them and make certain strategic decisions. But now it has become more of a partner, more of a colleague perhaps in the long run, where we are able to feed it huge amounts of data and it learns real time and also recommends certain things that we may not have thought of. So I think this cognitive power that AI has is a great partner to people. And I always say that there are two partners that we should now actively look at. One is the amazing talent in Asia Pacific or Africa or Latin America, the so-called developing world which now has access to education, has the skills and talents. They also have a very creative way of thinking. And the other is artificial intelligence, to really leverage it to solve problems in an innovative way and to democratize access to services in ways that we haven't been able to before. I recall that one of my past guests, Andrew Ng, talks about the 150,000 people who signed up on his Coursera course on artificial intelligence, AI, machine learning. So is the access to that information and skills actually becoming much more prevalent in the Asia-Pacific region. So what are the key technologies which are driving AI globally? Well, I think the data is the key thing. Because of the state of neural networks and other kinds of deep learning techniques that we're using are heavily dependent on data. We've never had so much data. And this data is now being generated because of digitization, because of the internet, because of IoT, and because of mobile data. Once you have the data, you, you can store it in the cloud, but now you need computational power. So computational power is very important, which now also because of cloud infrastructure makes it much more accessible to people with small companies or factories, people who are not necessarily that technically savvy. Even hardware is now being updated. Both Google, NVIDIA, and others are making new kinds of chips that are very specific to processing TensorFlow and other kinds of algorithms. I think these two are key. And the third thing is, especially what Andrew said, and I'm a big fan of his, is the fact that what else is driving is that more people are taking it up because this is a skill people can learn. And we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm in Asia for people 
to take the scale and implement it. Of course, it has to be overseen in the long run by people who have deeper skills. And these are often the professors who have spent a lot of time. And they have begun to form a kind of intuition that just taking a few courses doesn't get you quite there. So it's a combination of young people learning these skills through MOOCs and then the very advanced PhDs, professors, graduate students who have been thinking about this for a long time. I think that's kind of the killer combination that is going to drive adoption in the industry. So to effectively leverage on AI, whether it's in the case of um, supervised and unsupervised learning or even neural networks, large quantities of accurate and precise data are required. I guess, what are the key challenges for AI such that it doesn't over-predict or learn the wrong results from inaccurate data? Well, I mean, anybody will tell you, and I've sat on panels with the AI officers of all the top companies, Uber, Netflix, uh, Boeing, Defense, the data processing and acquisition and cleansing is 60% of the work. I mean, you know, now we're going to see automation in that, but still, first of all, it's the age-old thing that we say garbage in, garbage out. So data processing and cleansing is very important. But even then, you can make mistakes and you can be overfitting, as you already pointed out. So there are techniques by which you train data and you test data on a separate set. You historically make sure that it is accurate. Then you real-time test it on certain subsets of Facebook and others. Try this with dark launches, which we recommend kind of testing it out on small numbers of users and then spot checking further on. But there are lots of performance metrics and measures in artificial intelligence that can be used and should be used. The issue is that it's not just whether it is, it, it does what you ask it to do. So if your data is inaccurate in terms of bias, such as what we saw in facial recognition, if it's only used to seeing Caucasian males, then it will incorrectly flag women or minorities in ways that are not fair. That is another issue. That's not a technical issue. That's the, that is a decision issue that is being made by human beings. And that's where ethics comes in, where we need to teach people what is fair, what is ethical when you're designing AI. And in the beginning, that's very much in the hands of human beings. We try to remember this. I'm hoping in Singapore, we have a leadership in this. I know the government, IMDA, they're all thinking with us about Singapore being a place of thought leadership, not just in terms of um, research and development and industry adoption, but also in terms of ethics and benevolence. One interesting perspective I tend to get from different people, and I'm sure someone like you who have advised CEOs of multinational companies have seen that some people seem to conflict automation and AI together. I think that my question to you would be, what makes AI different from what we have seen in the past, maybe with regards to, say, the industrial revolution that precedes the information age today? Automation is very much a consequence of using AI. Of course, in the industrial age, we had more physical automation. We still have that in Tesla factories and others. But now it is, the the difference now is, as I said earlier, that AI is climbing up the cognitive ladder. So we are now seeing that it is able to make decisions and creatively 
think about new ways to address problems that it hasn't been able to do before. But I think that automation still remains a huge part of what it will do. But the key really is how far can it go? I mean, now we also see that it can create music, it can create art, it can even write articles, it can summarize. So uh, newspapers, honestly, there is a, sometimes you may be writing, reading an article that has been written by an AI. There are legal claims and disputes that can be filed automatically by a law legal AI that was not possible before. This requires still some kind of intelligence. It's not at the same level as the human being in any way at all, but it is able to do things that we originally thought only human beings could do because of this cognitive ladder that it is climbing. So it is very different from the industrial revolution, which is completely mechanical. And I wouldn't discount the mechanics either because we're going to see it in factories. But I think that it's beyond the automation of the mechanical. It has now gone in to bring in insights about even if you look at the factory, yes, you can mechanize the factory, but AI will help you think about even the input and output and optimization that was not possible before. We have helped factories in fertilizer factories that have changed the inputs and completely optimized and saved a lot of money on the outputs. But that is a cognitive insight, not automation. How does business actually benefit from leveraging on AI then? There are two main ways, in my opinion. One is B2B. B2B is looking at primarily optimizing. And this is your existing system, for instance. So you come in and you're forecasting certain kinds of things. And based on this, you are optimizing the supply. For instance, ports in Africa. We're talking to a very large logistics company that is building ports in Africa. And it wants to optimize the inflow and outflow of traffic same issue in logistics across any port in the world. This requires machine learning. On the other hand, if it's B2C, you are now reaching a point where you are personalizing, whether it is targeted advertising, whether it is the service level that you give, whether it is what searches you are servicing on a particular kind of um, Amazon or Netflix, you are personalizing the experience to a great degree when it is already existing. I also personalizing medication, which is a huge area where we'll see artificial intelligence do a lot of good. The other area is when you are trying to just break out of your current system altogether and trying something new. And I think that's where it'll become really interesting, whether it is self-driving cars, but going beyond that, virtual reality experiences, gamification, and also since cities is my area, really making cities responsive in the true sense. So for instance, if I could change the schedules of autonomous vehicles because I know that there are going to be certain festivals happening or certain kinds of demographics looking at will be more in a place at a certain time, then the city becomes truly smart and responsive. If I can even change my bus stop from one day to another or one week to another at a different place that's optimized to the demands of the citizens. Now we're seeing hardware that is responding to software. And, and I think China and others are already looking at this, you know, moving grocery stores, m- physical movement of what was considered in- immovable before. So for me, that's a really interesting area. And that improves, obviously it's optimized for the citizenry and drastically improves efficiency and therefore the quality of life of citizens. So what are the most interesting applications in AI from corporations and startups across Asia Pacific in your opinion? I think fintech is huge because of this emerging middle class. 
So the access to financial services is really, really important. And we are seeing a lot of AI being used for that in robo-advisory, in, in even credit scoring. All of that is really important in financial inclusion. So we'll see a lot of that. The second thing that we're seeing is in transportation, because again, driven by a huge infrastructure development, urbanization is driving the need for more efficient infrastructure in cities. So transportation is another area we'll see a huge jump in. The third, of course, is production. So a lot of the, in China, especially in other places, a lot of the manufacturing and other things are done using factories. Now robotics and AI are becoming more accessible to even small factory owners. And that's an area we'll see a lot in. And the last one is education. I think that we will see a huge change in personalized education over the coming years over the mobile phone. We all know mobile phone is powerful but the fact that artificial intelligence will now drive people to improve their skills in a faster, more personalized manner will completely change the economy, in my opinion. So surveying the landscape of Asia-Pacific, what are the major trends in AI? I mean, given that you have talked about the verticals on where AI seems to be applying to, where, where do you see the major trends going? Yes, absolutely. I think that we are definitely seeing, first of all, I think the emergence of new talent hubs is a big area. Philippines, for instance, has been very good in BPO, but now we'll have to up its game as some of this BPO becomes automated. India has been known for its outsourcing services, but now with automation, they also have to repivot to another emerging industry. This is an opportunity for other countries like Bangladesh and Pakistan that are leapfrogging over and becoming data science and AI hubs. So talent and the reconfiguration of who is a winner or a loser in this AI game, I think is, is very interesting. The other thing is the emergence of policy frameworks and who is going to actually capitalize on AI to drive industrial adoption the fastest. Now, Singapore is doing it, but so is Malaysia, so is Japan, and they're definitely looking at this as well. The third thing, as you mentioned, is definitely, as I mentioned in FinTech and other kinds of interfaces, that are, people are constantly interacting with AI without realizing it. Of course, speech recognition, image recognition is the most obvious, but also we will see a lot in financial services happening and citizen services happening. In Dubai, they're the first government in the world at the moment, but I'm sure it'll be adopted by many others. We are working with the government to personalize citizen services to make it completely seamless where they anticipate what you might need given on certain life events. And they are giving you all the services you would need and automating some of them using great UX design so that the citizen has the best quality of life in a city. I think these are interesting trends that we will begin to see a lot in Asia Pacific as well. So in the past two years, there's been a lot of press about technology displacing the knowledge-based jobs, such as lawyers and doctors. And I think you mentioned an application of now even legal reading of cases can also be outsourced to the AI. What are your opinions on this matter? And how does this come to in terms of digital inclusion, given that I think that even the white-collar jobs might be out of work and needs to be reconfigured on their jobs as well? This is a very serious issue. I think that there's no doubt about it that people's jobs will be displaced. I mean, you know, we, we do that. We work on algorithms and we see that the things that we are building are displacing certain jobs, even as they're improving the lives in other ways. So for instance, we have a 
micro insurance platform that uses satellite imagery to assess whether the damage from a typhoon or a flood has been great or less or kind of medium. Now, this is very important because when insurance companies see this data, they are then willing to give insurance to poor farmers who live between $1 and $4 a day. But on the other hand, the 20,000 insurance agents that would typically go out that were also the reason the admin overhead why the insurance companies would not scale the program, they will all lose their jobs when satellite image processing is doing that job. So in every case where AI comes in and improves lives, I would say 80% of the time it also displaces somebody's job. So what can we do about it? Governments have to provide upskilling programs. And in that time between the, their loss of job and when they are being upscaled, they really have to provide them some kind of subsidy or some kind of support because this will be very disruptive, not only for that person, but also for that person's family. So I'm a big supporter of skills retraining and that doesn't mean they should learn coding. That means they need to understand where their skills really lie. Maybe it's years of experience in a bank and they understand financial services really well, how to marry that with somebody else. So the skills retraining is only the first part. The matching of that person with somebody who's highly technical or maybe an AI is a second part. And both need to be done because for the elderly or some people, it's very difficult to learn certain kinds of technical skills. And I think this is going to be a continuing issue and probably I'll have to get you back sometime soon to talk about what has been happening again. So Aisha, many thanks for coming on the show. But as for closing, I want to first ask two questions. So the first question is, can you recommend a book, podcast, movie or anything that has impacted your personal or work life recently? Yes, I'm a big fan of Race Against the Machine. I think that the books that they have written, McAfee and Brent Jolson, are really good in understanding how artificial intelligence is irreversibly transforming the economy and some of the trends that are, are important there. I've also really enjoyed uh, Bostrom, Nick Bostrom's Superintelligence because I feel that there's a lot of fear out there and people should really systematically think about things. And I like the way he really takes them one of the long views on the singularity that machines will perhaps be more intelligent than humans, maybe a couple of centuries from now. But he provides a framework for how to think about it. And I think this is the kind of education we need to give our college students, maybe even our school children, to not be overwhelmed by what they see, but to systematically judge where humanity as a species and what decisions we must make, given this increasingly technological environment in which we live. And I'm going to recommend John Markov's uh, Machines of Living Grace. And I thought that that would be an interesting book to think about in terms of AI. How do my audience find you then? Well, I would love to hear from everyone. I am on LinkedIn and I have a Facebook page as well, Aisha Khanna. You can find me on Twitter, Aisha Khanna1. My email is Aisha at ADDO.ai. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Bernard. I welcome all emails. I think the key for all of us is to talk about it, no matter what one skill level, because AI will affect all of us. So the debate must go on. 
You can find me at Bernard Leung or at BernardLeung.com. Subscribe to us at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, LipSync, and of course, Google Play in the US market. Of course, tweet to me, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, a star on Overcast, and of course, give me your feedback. Once again, Aisha, many thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Bernard.